Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history and we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at the pop princess turned black magic murderess. It's Mona Fendi. How you been, mate? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah. I've spent probably two, three days trying to think of what to say, like what what am I gonna bring to the catch up? Right. Because I do fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything now, do I? Uh, I do, I do do stuff, but I just always do stuff with a baby. And I don't want to be that person that always talks about a baby. You're like live, laugh, love, except poop, eat, sleep. No sleep. Oh, she sleeps. She sleeps. Sometimes. That is your life. That is her life, which is now your life. Poo, sick, repeat. Poo, sick, repeat. Poo, sick, eat, repeat. Yum. Uh, what a life. What a life. I do have one thing. Go on. Do you want to go? No, you go. We're, sure. You're, we're on your way right now. Hooks, on tenterhooks. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to know what you've been <laughs> doing in the last three days. Well, Helen, recently. Okay. I got scammed. You got scammed? Well, how did you get scammed? I know. It's all right, because it was in real life. You can't oh, get okay. me online. I'm too savvy. Okay. It was like literally the day after we'd moved house, I think. Mm-hmm. So very recently. And we went to the co-op right around the corner. I had a lovely stroll. Baker mm-hmm. had the dogs. I had the baby. You know what's really great? Shape. My local co-op is your local co-op. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe we'll see Helen, but we didn't. Went to the co-op, went about my business, came out realized i'd forgotten one thing and i was like oh and in that time it took for me and baker to have that conversation yeah an old man old man shuffled up and he had like you know a bit of like a scraggy sort of unshaven Mm -hmm. and he did the old you know the like the shuffle where they don't really pick up their feet and he had his stick okay and he was like oh what lovely dogs (laughs) i could see baker eyeing him I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. You do the, oh, yeah, not where you live with them. (laughs) (laughs) The classic. Yeah, the classic. And he's like, oh, what lovely dogs. And then he sort of hovered and I was like, oh, this is about to get weird, isn't it? And he goes, I hate to do this. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. Immediately, my head goes to, there's a Mitchell and Webb sketch where um, this guy goes into a shop and he's like, I'd like these five items. And then uh, gradually he's an alcoholic. and He's like, I think, uh, but I'm suddenly overcome with an overwhelming thirst and I might try one of these lager beers. And I was like, this guy's going to do this. He's going to want a delicious lager beer, isn't he? And then uh, he's like, I've only got 5p. I was wondering if you could just help me get a meal deal. Right. Unexpected, but okay. Okay. I thought, I don't believe that this guy only has 5p. Mm-hmm. A, because nobody has cash anymore. You mm-hmm. ain't got 5p. Nothing's fi- nothing's leaving you with 5p. Everything's really expensive now. Yeah. You ain't got 5p. You've right. got nothing or you've got like a quid. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want to be that person that dicks an old man out of a meal. Right. Because he lives, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We're all struggling. In it? I can... Did you, sorry, did you just say because he lives? <laughs> what on earth did you just... That's what the youths are calling oh it. Oh my God. The cost of living crisis. Never say that again, Danny. It made me feel gross. Good. (laughs) I felt gross receiving that. But I'm trying to, I'm I'm, I'm keeping, I'm holding my youth, Helen. (laughs) And all the the youths listening to this are going to be like, yeah, she's cool. I keep saying peng and I feel out of place. But I also feel a little bit like hee hee. (laughs) Same time. Anyway, Um, continue. Did you get a meal deal? So I go in mm. and I let him choose his meal. And I was like, oh, you know what? And Baker was like behind him sort of doing the little like, don't, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't need it. He's lying to you. Right. And I'm like, you know what? Sylvie's here. I want to teach her kindness. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, so I tell you what, do you want to go in and pick out what you want? Mm-hmm. I need to get my paracetamol anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get you the meal deal. That's mm. fine. Um, and I thought to myself, even if he doesn't need it, Four quid for a meal deal mm. is fine. Mm-hmm. And I was waiting for him to get to the checkout and be like, oh, while I'm here, mm-hmm. like, can I just get 20 pence in it? <laughs> 20 B&H silver and a bottle of Oddy. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't. He just had the meal deal. His choice was questionable. Oh. Tuna and sweet corn sandwich. Mm-hmm. King of sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Flame grilled steak McCoy's. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting pairing. Okay. And a Dr. Pepper. Oh, yes. Really? I love a Dr. Pepper. Mm, not you should see my fridge. No, thanks. So I was already judging him on his meal deal choice. And then did it and I could see. And then the, the manager came out from behind the till and waved me over and was like, did he just ask you to buy that? Mm. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, don't do that again. All right. Like, Apparently he does it. He's a serial meal deal. No. Scammer. Really? And I was like, do you know, I got weird vibes from it and I thought, and I was like, but it's only a meal deal. So it's not like he's asking me to get him a whole like shop or yeah. like, uh, like, I was like, if he was going to ask for alcohol or cigarettes or something, I was going to say no. And he was like, if it was anything more than a meal deal, I wouldn't have let you do it. Mm. But just bear in mind mm. that he'll get someone to buy him a bag of shopping mm. and then he'll like zoom off at like 10 miles an hour. Honestly, he'll walk faster than you can run. And I was like, you are joking. Whoa. And I felt so, and I was like, how dare, and I was like, I wanted to be outraged. And even though I knew it was happening, but like I was tired and I'm a new mum and you could tell, mm-hmm. right? And he took advantage of me. Yeah, what a bastard. And I'm like, I'm going to keep also, my eyes out for yeah, him being a local. If he does, if that's how he gets his kicks. Yeah. Then, I mean, he's got worse karma coming to him. Yeah. Like prick. But also, what if he does just have 5p and he's just sat alone? He definitely has 20 B&H silver and a bottle of Oddy somewhere. Mm-hmm. I did see him when we were walking home. He was walking faster than we were. No. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all an you, act. You dick. <laughs> wow. But yeah, so that was my story for the week. What a swindler. I know. My story isn't as exciting. The story starts with me being obsessed with ABBA. I just keep playing it. It gives oh, me okay. joy. It's a recent obsession. It's a recent. I was going to say, I don't know this about you. But I know where this stems from. It's come from my subconscious because I've been at war with Ikea and that <laughs> is their hold music. <laughs> Mamma Mia is their hold music. And I've been on hold to Ikea so much in the last three, four weeks because they keep dicking me around. So every t- every now and then I'm just like in the kitchen, Alexa, play Mamma Mia by ABBA. And then I've realised this is why. Oh, that's such a shame because it's not even one of their best songs. Well, the intro is pretty exciting, isn't it? Get you going. The tingles. But no, I'm I'm at war of Ikea at the moment and I've turned into a, I keep saying I'm a bit of a Karen, but. I also know what it's like to work in customer service and so I can't take my rage out too oh, much on people. It's so difficult, isn't it, how it comes yeah. from a customer service background where you're like, I'm annoyed and I know that you are just the grump person and you can't do anything about it because I was you, but you're the only person I can talk no. to. <laughs> but on reflection, I actually kind of wish I was a bit mean to them because every person that I have spoken to still managed to dick up my order. Do you so know I, what's annoying? What? Is that being a dick actually works? Really? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Think about all the times you've worked customer service and you're like, look, I can't give you a refund because you've quite obviously worn it and you've burnt a hole in it and this mm-hmm. is all shit. Stop shouting at me. You're yeah. the one that's made that fault here. And then they're like, can I speak to the manager? And you're like, yes. And then the manager comes over and is like, just do it. Yeah, well, this is it. So I ordered a bunch of uh, office furniture for my office, believe it or not. And um, I've, I, I've ordered it weeks Hang ago. Wait a minute. Weren't you supposed to wait in all day on Saturday? Yes! Oh, no. Right, so I ordered it on, like, uh, in the middle of the week, and they said it was going to come on the Saturday. So I didn't make any plans that Saturday because I knew that there was going to be an IKEA delivery that day. And then I remember that I morning, tried to make plans with you, and yeah. you said, I can't. No, yes. I'll wait for the furniture. Yes, right. So I call up. I've not had any delivery notification. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, it's been cancelled, your order. We'll reorder it for you. It will come on the Thursday. So I was like, fuck's sake. So Thursday comes round, same thing. No order notification. Right, okay, cool, fine. And then they then promised, then it happened again. So they said the next Tuesday, then it happened again. They said the next Sunday. And then on that Sunday when he said, oh, it's coming on the Thursday. So this is probably, I'm at, I'm at the fifth failed delivery now. I was like, it better come Thursday. It better come Thursday because all hell will break loose. And I said, I know it's not your fault. I'm just really fucked off of the situation. I'm so actually so angry because I keep wasting days waiting in for you guys to turn up and you ain't turning up. And anyway, you couldn't fucking write it. So not yesterday, then before. In the meantime, right. all that's in the background is... It's happened one last time. So yeah, the fifth time it's happened to me. It was supposed to come two days ago. 
I ring up, I go, I haven't had a delivery notice. She's like, yes, yeah, coming Monday. I went, no, it's not though. It's not coming Monday. Just cancel my bloody order. I was like, you offered me a 60 pound refund. I get a 60 pound gift voucher, which to be honest, I won't be fucking using because I'm not shopping with you again. And I was like, just cancel my order, cancel it. But then I got a delivery notice this morning, oh, no. yesterday <laughs> saying, so I'm kind of a bit freaked out because like, apparently Ikea is coming between half 10 today and half two today at the office but you're here yeah i know but there's and other, it's half 10 now there'll be other people there oh, and, God. And, and 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 i'm thinking if she has put the refund through i might potentially get a whole ikea order for free oh, well no you've, 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 you've said it now look yeah, they can I've come said it now. now shall we get some yeah shall we um, actually talk about what we came here to talk about yeah not bitching about ikea they definitely won't be sponsoring us anytime soon mm. but you need to sort your shit out before i want to promote you okay cool bye Short disclaimer before we get started. It's not like last week. Good. It's not like last episode. That was horrible. This story is set in Malaysia. And as you know from last week, we no longer have producer Alex to help us pronounce stuff. Pronounce stuff. There's everything's fucking Malaysian. Everything's a fucking Malaysian. I swear to God, I'm doing my best. But particularly with names, I can't make Google Translate tell me how to pronounce it. it just sounds like a robot there's youtube videos how to say this name but it's an automate it's an ai voice that's not that's just a robot saying it that's not how you actually say it is it no. otherwise i'd be saying everything like this do you know who we need billy from uni who was from malaysia who loved malaysia oh my god i forgot about him so we went I'm from to- malaysia <laughs> so we went to uni with this guy called billy real sweetheart but any opportunity in conversation, he would go, in Malaysia, we do this. And it was, yeah. <laughs> and it was oh, like, oh, it's sweet. But it was just so cute. Like, you could talk about anything. It could be even down to popcorn. In Malaysia, we have popcorn. <laughs> that does this. And yeah. you're like, cool, man. Cool. He just loved, he loved his country. Well, no, I'm glad. I do the same thing, though. Oh, in Trinidad, we do this. But you like, don't Trinidad, drop it into conversation. Like, I feel any like opportunity. I do. I actually get no, quite you, paranoid about no, it. No, you I'm like, don't. Shut up. People know nah. that you've got foreign parents, all right? <laughs> yeah. I don't um, think you're that bad. Okay, good. Thank you. Anyway. She's saying, basically, I, yeah. she, apologies in advance yeah. for any mispronunciation. I'm, no, doing, wait, I'm wait, doing wait. my best. I'm doing my best. And I've, I, I promise I, I just could not spend any more time trying to find out the phonetics. And you know, when you do like on Wikipedia where there is phonetics, mm-hmm. I don't know what they mean. Yeah. Like there's weird letter shapes and stuff. Yeah. How do you know what they mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, life is hard is the lesson that is here. I'm doing my best. Bear with me. Bear with her. Okay. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's set the scene. Okay. It's July 1993 in Pahang, Malaysia, where politician Datuk Maslan Idris sorry, has been reported missing. He was last seen withdrawing a large sum of money from a bank in Kuala Lumpur. It's a high-profile missing persons case. However, after a couple of weeks, police still have no credible leads as to his whereabouts. Oh, my God. They have no leads, that is until a seemingly unrelated arrest provides details of Maslan's whereabouts at the home of one of the country's most popular shaman, Mona Fendi. Coincidentally, Mona can be seen on a big spending spree in the capital. She splurged on a new car, she got expensive clothes, and she's even bought herself a facelift. Things are about to take a turn for Mona, though, as police make a dark discovery at her home. Maslan Idris, the missing politician, has been murdered in what seems to be an act of black magic, a dark and deadly ritual. So before we get to the gory details, let's go back to the start. Okay. Like we do. Mona Fendi was born as Namazna Binti Ismail on the 1st of January 1956 in Kangar, which is the largest town in Perlis, which is the smallest state in Malaysia. She expressed an interest in the arts from a young age with a passion for singing and was also a water ballet dancer as a child. I had to Google what water ballet was because in my head it's doing ballet but in like on wet ground. Oh, I just thought it would be like synchronised swimming. Well, that's exactly what it is, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I took it very literally. I was like, oh, interesting. You know, like um, Rihanna's umbrella, like where she's just like in water. And I was like, it's wet ballet. Wet, but like with a tutu, like soggy tutu. Yeah, just like, you know, yeah, wet t-shirt, you know, 
Yeah, no, it's not. It's wet tutu, yeah. It's, it's now known as synchronised swimming. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And apparently she was talented enough that her routines were broadcast across the world. But I can't actually find any evidence of this because she's known for something else. If you Google her, that water ballet is not what comes up. Okay. But don't Google her because that'll spoil it. I ain't. I'm sitting here waiting. You're going get to get to that bit. Okay. Let's just take a moment to talk about our mental health. Good idea. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's really easy to get caught up in spending so much time prioritising the needs of the people around you, whether at work or friends or family, that you actually run out of time to check in on yourself. Yeah, and it can be so mentally demanding, like supporting the people around you, that it's really easy to get burnt out before you know it, isn't it? Totally. I mean, we've both been there. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) yeah I mean I I've I've been over it a lot in therapy myself about how um I actually don't prioritize my needs enough and it gets to the point where I'm get so busy I need to do this so that so and so is okay or I need to make myself available for my friends I need to make myself available for my family that you forget to make yourself available for you and I get in this sort of like really bad anxious spiral about oh god I'm not good enough because I'm I'm not I'm not being able to be everything for everybody Mm. and it's you don't have to it's it's self-destructive it's not okay definitely and I my personal experience is going above and beyond I suppose for others I previously did to the point where I would actually get myself so stressed if I felt like I wasn't delivering on certain things whether it was like I don't know I was hosting and I would need to have certain things done or just to prove to people how much I cared for them and I thought that, that was by doing lots and lots of things and being really, really generous and like, and if I couldn't do that, I'd feel really, really, really guilty and like I was a piece of shit or uh, sorry yeah. that I was really bad. So, and that I wasn't good enough for my friends or the people around me and really actually it just made me exhausted. Yeah. And it was only through therapy that it really took me to sort of, to take the time to realise that. I was the only person putting that pressure on myself. Exactly. That's exactly that. The people who love you don't expect that from you all the time. Exactly. Um, And sometimes you do just need that external person to help you. Just put that into perspective. Yeah, exactly. And that's so important, isn't it? It's so important to make time for yourself and to prioritise your own mental health before you're able to give yourself to others. Yeah, exactly. So if you find yourself stretching too thin, BetterHelp can give you the time and tools to get back to yourself. So if you're considering therapy, BetterHelp can match you with a therapist within days. It's super convenient and because it's online only, it means you can take it anywhere. So when you want to prioritise your own mind, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash D-I-T-D today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash D-I-T-D. Now, let's get back to Mona Fendi. After two failed marriages, Masna met her husband, Mohammed Afandi Abdul Rahman. She became stepmother to his two sons and they later had a daughter together. Rahman was supportive of Masna's passion for singing and helped her launch her career under her stage name, Mona Fendi. Mona Fendi. And that's the name I'm going to use from here on in because it's easier to say. Okay. Mona. From what I can tell, Rahman took on a manager type role for Mona. So like a momager, but husband did you mm-hmm. endorsing her and securing tv spots and stuff when she launched her self-funded album diana one okay so she obviously had plans i don't know for diana two mm. um also it's, it's kind of difficult there's not a lot of consistent information about her early life mm-hmm. it is clear that she self-funded the launch of this album and there are clips of her on TV. So she obviously had a decent amount of money to start off with. Yeah, but I can't find anything about like her parentage or like the interesting stuff right. about how she was raised or anything like that. Mm. Because it's just so overshadowed okay. by what she's done, which we're going to get to. But also a lot of the source material, like original source material, mm-hmm. is Malaysian. Yeah. And as much as, you know, you can translate web pages, it was a while ago and the web pages, they're not a thing. Okay. So I'm just not that good at the internet. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so she obviously had some money. Yeah, because yeah, music I, making is expensive. Well, you know. I know that. Yeah. Self-funding everything that I do 
bloody yeah. hell that's why i haven't done it in a while because i can't afford to it is something that i think it does speak like you have to be very dedicated to what you're doing to be yeah. able to invest that amount of money mm-hmm. and actually like do that yeah despite their best efforts with launching diana one the album was a bit of a flop okay and mona's career as a pop singer i think you could say was somewhat short-lived oh yeah and unsuccessful okay so her dreams of fame and fortune weren't going down that road yeah that's really sad so when the money ran out Mm -hmm. they took on work Mm -hmm. as traditional malaysian shamans okay so do explain i I, i'm feeling like it has something to do with god no okay so it seems her husband spent some time in indonesia and was became familiar with indonesian shamans which are known as dukun and in Malaysia, the more traditional shamans are known as Bomo. Mm-hmm. Once again, apologies. I know there'll be at least one Malaysian person listening to this and just creasing because I'm butchering mm-hmm. these words. So there's a few different types of shaman, shaman. Mm-hmm. And apparently quite often when translating it into English, they're mistaken for witch doctor. Um, oh, okay. And, uh, like, but there is a pawang which is a more sort of like naturalist will do things to do with like the weather and stuff. But a BOMO would typically act as a healer, okay. herbalist. And there it used to be so sort of common practice that they were trusted as healers that a lot of people would actually seek out medical help from a, a BOMO before they would go to a hospital. Oh, yeah, and seek healing that way. There was this whole thing where there was a bit of a like a juxtaposition between the role of the BOMO in Malaysia when it was Islamicized in the sort of 70s because it doesn't necessarily work cohesively with the teachings of the Quran. So it became sort of less commonplace. I didn't know that Malaysia was an Islamic state, is it? There's a mix of religions, but Islam in Malaysia would be the most prominent one. Oh, interesting. sort of the... Didn't know that. Yeah, neither did I. I've I've learned a lot from what I've researched. It stems from sort of original Malaysian or Southeast Asian folk folklore and folk religion. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was more of like uh, a spiritual, and it still is a very spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. But a bomo healer, herbalist, they can also act as a geomancer. Don't ask me what that is because I don't know. Or a sorcerer. And Dukun also tended to be known as uh, practitioners of black magic or masters. Um, So, yeah, you would get shaman that are practitioners of of black magic and uh, spiritualists. There is a film, actually, which is loosely based on Mona Fendi, which is called Dukun. And that is the Indonesian term for a shaman. And they, you know, it's it's pretty... From what I can see, it's pretty much... They pretty much perform the same roles. Okay, so question. Okay. This might be in the story. I don't know, but... How did you just become one? Like, we're going to get jobs. Let's do this role. Well, so once again, not a lot of information about how that's come about. Yeah. But from what I can see, her husband, Afandi, Abdul Rahman, he spent some time in Indonesia with shamans or as a shaman. I can't quite see. I think with all he learned about it there and he had the experience and Mona learned it from him. And it seems like Mona was a much better shaman than a pop star because as an attractive sort of young female, she stood out in the field, which was largely filled with older men. So she gained quite a lot of followers in the region and she rose in popularity amongst high society, amongst the elite. interesting. Yeah, people looking for help with protecting their assets or boosting their good fortune Mm -hmm. and this allowed Mona and her husband to live quite a lavish lifestyle and I think that's something that she was always sort of striving for she wanted to be a pop star she wanted to be famous so she's famous but just in a different realm yeah and it's because it's not as widely accepted Mm -hmm. and there is a bit of a questionable we'll get into this in a bit um some of her practices leaning towards black magic and not sort of as socially acceptable she's like well known but not prominent not like you know mainstream yeah yeah yes because it's it's something that people will keep quiet about yet they don't want people to know that 
they had to use yeah. black magic or okay. whatever to get what they... Right. To, so it's like an underground popularity, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is cool. Secret. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I've got a person. I've got someone you, you yeah. might want to talk to. Is their number. But she was successful enough. But how do you promote yourself then? Like, how do you just get... Like, you can't just drive around with a van that says, black magic services, cool. <laughs> well, you know? I think it will start off with... Oh well, I saw Word this. Mouth? I saw yeah, I saw yeah. This, I saw this woman, and a, a woman like she would have been wow. talked about more being a young, attractive female. I guess it would spread through word of mouth. They obviously were doing something right because they accrued like a decent amount of monetary wealth. They had a mansion in Kuala Lumpur, mm-hmm. as well as several other properties, mm-hmm. several luxury cars, lots of expensive clothing, and their success. They became so successful that they actually needed to hire an assistant. Ooh, yes. And his name, I've heard it said a couple of different ways, which doesn't help. So I'm going with Jeremy Hassan. Okay. Jeremy would help Mona and her husband mm-hmm. prepare for their rituals, typically for people looking to boost their material wealth or their prospects, mm-hmm. like we just said. And apparently it also became quite common practice, an underground common practice mm-hmm. for politicians to come seeking help and talismans to bring them good fortune and to help boost their political careers. You have to think, this is a belief system, mm-hmm. I, from what I can understand, because as much as there may be some, like, behind a talisman, for an object to be able to change your fortune mm-hmm. or to, you know, bring you what you want, there has to be a certain level of belief and trust and faith in yeah what is happening and what you are paying for. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is is quite important. And I know from what I have read, there is a lot of deep rooted in Malaysian, traditional Malaysian culture. There is a lot of superstition. And oh, yeah. And it, yeah. And it's, it's very much the same, like from my experience with my Caribbean heritage, you know, mm-hmm. there's ghost stories. And the... well, Billy told us about the shrunken heads in the jars that time. Do you remember? No. Oh, he told me about the heads in the jars. In, in Malaysia. Might have been for a BOMO. Maybe. Mm. One such politician who came looking for the services of Mona and her husband was State Assemblyman Datuk Maslan Idris. Mm-hmm. And from what I can understand about Malaysian language, Datuk, or Dato, is an honorific. So it's used similar to like a lord or sir. Okay. So, you know, he's got status, he's yeah. got power, he's a well-to-do man, mm-hmm. but he wants more. Oh, he wants okay. to be. He seems like he had his eyes on being the head of state. Oh, right. He's power hungry, is he? Yeah. Okay. So he had the ambition to reach. It's the position of Menteri Bazaar of Pahang, which is essentially like the head of state. Mm-hmm. Right, but for that particular state, not the whole of Malaysia. Okay. So just for Pahang, and he was willing to use black magic to boost his political power. Oh, wow. Da, 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 da. Black magic. Also, very inappropriate, but most of the time, whilst I was writing this, writing and I'm looking at and I'm researching, she's a black magic woman. What, going through your head yeah. the whole time? And I'm like, stop it, stop it. <laughs> can't, can't stop it. So you've got Abba, I've got that. Yeah. So a deal was made. Mona Fendi and her husband would provide a talisman which would comprise of a cane and a songcock, which is a type of headwear, like a hat. Oh, lovely. Yeah, that had belonged to the first Indonesian president, Sukarno. So he was a powerful man. Mm-hmm. And so in that thing, then these objects would have a power attached to them. Oh, okay. I understand that. Yeah. 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 And um, so he was the first Indonesian president and that was around 1945. Mm-hmm. So, and he was long past. Mm-hmm. These might have been quite valuable items and uh, nobody seems to have questioned how Mona acquired, acquired these. these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. She, we'll just accept that she had them. Yeah. Did she even have them at this stage? Like you could realistically have any cane. Like it's a specific, specific type of cane. Right. And yeah, the songcock, he's, he's not going to be the only person that ever had one of those. No. She, it could be like, I could just say, this water is what Britney Spears spat in. Yeah, give me that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's just a bottle of water. I filled it up from home. Yeah, she could very well 
have yeah you know so, tricked people like your meal deal man like my meal deal but he's only got 5p mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. yeah he's going and buying a facelift with my meal deal. <laughs> whether it was real or not she did a very good job of convincing maslan that by holding this talisman wearing the hat holding the cane he would become invincible and he would achieve power and he believed that so he was willing to pay for it mm-hmm willing to pay handsomely because she wanted to charge 2.5 million ringgit Malaysia. How much is that in pounds? Modern day, it's just over 450,000 pounds. Whoa! Yeah, in the early 90s, Yeah, I saw one thing say it was equivalent to maybe around $600,000, but I think that seems like a modern exchange as well, so I'm okay. not sure exactly what the value would have been at that time. But it was a large amount of money. For some things that could have potentially just been from the charity shop. They were made of Lego. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you not know? Like, some cook wore Lego hats. <laughs> um, yeah, powerful, powerful Lego. Maslan paid 500,000 ringgit as a deposit. So he still owed... Wow. Yeah, he still owed two million. It's a hefty deposit. Yeah. So he gave them 10 land titles as a guarantee that he would pay them the rest of the money. What does that mean? Here's 500 grand. Mm -hmm. I guess you can't easily like withdraw two and a half million without it being noticeable and people asking where you're going to spend it. Yeah, suspect. And he can't be like, well, I spent it on a talisman because I want to be head of state. Yeah, I see me. Yeah. Yeah. He's given them, he's transferred 10 land titles, like the deed. Oh, right. You know, have this land in trust that I'm going to pay you the rest of the two million. So I do think also maybe there's some questions about how they acquired a lot of the wealth and the nice things that they have mm-hmm. if they if this is sort of the type of business dealings yeah. that they were doing. So maybe they weren't always paid in cash. Potentially the equivalent value of yeah, the land. In like, and we already know that Mona Fandi has big dreams. She wants to be famous. She wants to live that lovely, yeah. luxurious life. So... The deal was done. The deal had been made. The terms were set. And an appointment for a cleansing ritual for Maslan was made. And that cleansing ritual would cleanse him of any negative energies and boost the power of the talisman through his body. I'm just going to have to say this. like This is just me being stupid Helen over here. But every time we say talisman, I just think of Spyro 2. I think of several things that have nothing to do with this. Yeah, yeah, because you have to collect talismans in Spyro too, and because that was something that I recently had been like, hyper focusing on on my Switch, is playing Spyro every single minute of the day that I had spare. Right, I just like talismans. I'm going to open up a new portal now. <laughs> so you keep saying talismans, and I just keep seeing. Well, it's my all, brain just keeps going. Bing. It's all part of the spiritual. I know, I know it's got nothing to do with this lovely story, but well, it made me think of. Um, I recently started watching Charmed from the start. Oh, cool. It has not aged well. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God, no. No. Uh, it has not aged well, but one of the very, very early episodes, there is a murder in Chinatown, mm-hmm. and the ghost of the guy who got killed goes to the Halliwell sisters and asks for help. And they um, give him a By accident. No, there's a ta- his mother has a talisman on the front door that stops ghosts from entering the house. Oh, cool. So he can't go and, like look after his mother because he can't get in oh um, no yeah, yeah so they and, have to go and, and then the guy that framed him also has a talisman on the door to stop ghosts from getting in oh god and it works oh wow yeah so talismans for all kind of thing yeah and there's loads of talismans in loads of different cultures for loads of different things um, that's so cool and also in spiral for opening portals yeah did i just say spiral yeah you did i did <laughs> that's all right. i knew what you'd tra- it's been a long day <laughs> It's 11 a.m., mate. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, your 24-hour clock is way different to ours because you have a baby. Yeah, that is true. I spend a lot of time. Tell you what, what? this is a total tangent. Mm. There's something about being awake between like 3 and 4 a.m. Mm. that just makes you fucking spend money. Like, God, <laughs> Instagram ads are getting me. I've bought a, a baby sunglasses. I bought a water filter. I bought all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and then it'll turn up and I'll be like, God damn. Oh, oh. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot I did that. Because I, I was half asleep. That's happened to me the other day. I got this mystery box and normally I can kind of tell where things are from because of like PR samples and stuff. And I was like, 
I've never heard of this company, open it. And it's my baseball cap that says, get this girl a margarita. I was like, I was half asleep when I ordered that. And you texted me before, I was like, I don't need this. <laughs> I don't need this, I'm not going to buy it. I bought it. <laughs> I did it. What are you going to do? do? <laughs> oh dear. Oh, oh dear. Anyway, so. So, an appointment for a cleansing ritual had been made. Mm-hmm. Maslam. Now, my geography is probably a little bit off here, but he was going to go to Mona's house, for the, one of Mona's houses in, for the ritual. And this house was located outside of a town called Raub in Pahang. Mm-hmm. So outside of the capital in a, quite a fairly sort of remote location. And from what I can tell, the house was sort of in the woods and there's a lot of Malaysian superstition and folklore. Mm-hmm. about evil spirits, dark entities that reside in the woods. Mm-hmm. There's like vampire women, ghosts, cool. demons, all kinds of like different stories. Yeah. Um, like how in some of the Slavic countries there's Baba Yaga. I don't know what an English equivalent would be. The, uh, the only thing I can think of is the Black Shook. Black Shook. Yeah, that that roams the yeah. Norfolk broth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it could be like a similar thing. <gasps> yeah, so it's already, there's already a lot of superstition and then... For it to be local knowledge that there's a Bomo living in this house, mm-hmm. the locals apparently would avoid the house or the area, mm. that area where, where it was, because they believed that the Bomo's practices were drawing dark entities and evil spirits that reside in the forest to the property so that she could use them. Oh. Mm. I wonder who came, who was the first person to come up with that assumption. Someone must have said it first. Yeah, and what caused that? Yeah, like why they came to that conclusion. Every, there's always have you. There's always a house or something that's everywhere that you know that gives, stay, stay away from there. Yeah, like you know, someone lived there and they died, and now they live there still. <laughs> Where are you at with ghosts? Me? Yeah. Oh, I I don't I don't believe in it. I like the idea of it. I like the I get spooked by it, but honestly, I don't believe in ghosts. I believe in aliens. I don't believe in ghosts. Interesting. Though my friend Todd told me that he saw a ghost and he was sober and he, his mate saw it as well and they, they shit their pants and they ran. Yeah. And he was like, I've been dead serious. I saw a ghost. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> there's, I think there's, I think sometimes there's a lot of things that are just too coincidence, like too coincidental to not be something else. Really? Yeah, like I get a lot of deja vu and that could be my brain is deficient or it could be that I just have really mediocre premonitions. Yeah, I do think deja vu is weird. And but I don't think it's related to ghosts. I always remember, I think because once again, like Caribbean people are very superstitious, like mm. can be a very superstitious culture. And so I've sort of grown up with, like my grandmum would say that my mum is predisposed for ghosts because she was born with a veil over her face wow and um that is cool yeah and there's just like we've had a lot of things like that so I think I do and I don't because like I need to when it brings comfort mm-hmm. I like to believe in it mm-hmm. but when it's scary I'd rather not yeah yeah I mean the whole ghost rat situation in my old house was just <laughs> I really needed I needed a talisman then I know this is going to be sound like such a Debbie Downer, but do you know how the brain can do mad things to us when we're stressed or anxious? It can make us believe things that aren't real. Yeah. It can totally warp our perception of reality and make you feel things. And even sometimes even when you have panic attacks, you can physically feel things in your body and it's just your brain's response to that. So like, for example, I had a weird experience once when I went to go see my grandma when she died. I saw her body like in the, before Mm. they did all the stuff, just to say the last goodbyes. And I was sitting there chatting to her, like just saying how great she looked and all that sort of stuff. Like, sorry to bring you any fags, Danny, because she liked to smoke so much. I was like, I would have put, I would have put like 40 whatever menthols in a coffin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I was driving home, windows were up. I've probably told you this story before, but windows were up. I was driving home along the main road. And then all of a sudden I got this overwhelming smell of like cigarette smoke in my car. Yes. So like, and I was like, that's nanny that is. But that could have just very well been my brain. Yeah. Just making me I've had smell that, that too. Do yeah. that. Yeah. You know. 
And I think, um, and it's always cigarettes, like cigarettes and a bit, like it's a mixture of cigarettes, beer and Hugo Boss. Was that for your dad? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I just get it. I'm like, hey. hey. Yeah. Um, and so that's quite nice. And I think belief is very powerful. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Like that could have been very much a trick of the brain. But you, you like I immediately went to that's nanny. Yeah. And that belief, that's the belief there that makes all these sort of things kind of mean something. And that's why superstition, yeah. you know, belief and faith and stuff that comes from a place of needing comfort and guidance, I feel. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's interesting. Let us know what you think or don't. Because um, <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, um, please don't send us ghost stories because I don't sleep well. No, uh, already she don't sleep well. Yeah, so don't. don't don't need those. Keep them to yourselves, but enjoy them. I will read them. I'll tell you not to read them, Danny. Okay, thanks. I'll just I, stay away from social. From I don't socials. believe it, but I like to also be scared. So, right, okay. <laughs> Put a content warning at the top. <laughs> yeah, please. Thank you. At Devils just write to Helen, not Danny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Okay. Anyway, back to the story. You know what the terrible thing about not having a producer is. There's nobody to stop us. There's no one to stop us. <laughs> what are they going to do? Shoot us. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, like, how long even was that? That was, like, fucking 20 minutes. Yeah. Shit. There's a whole screen oh, worth dear. of, like, recording. Oh, dear. Anyway, back to back the story. Back to the story. Yeah, so Maslan headed to Mona's house in the woods with the ghosts for the cleansing ritual. Okay. Upon entering the, fa- the Fendi house... Maslan was instructed to lie on the floor face up so that Mona could perform a Mandi Bunga, which is a floral bath ritual to flush the body of negative energies. Was he naked? I don't know. I didn't. I don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you said that with such a creepy smile. No, I did, did. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, God. Accidental creep. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if he was clothed. I feel like in my head it would make more sense for him to be naked, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. He was told to close his eyes and wait for money to fall from the sky because petals or flowers will fall onto you. Yeah. And that will be money falling from the sky. Okay. Is my understanding of it. Very loose understanding of it. Unfortunately for Maslan, no money fell from the sky, nor did flowers as part of the ritual. Oh, God. Instead... Oh, no. Jeremy Hassan, the 31-year-old assistant hired by Mona and her husband, brought an axe down. Shut up! On Maslan's neck. Why? According to testimony, it took more than one blow to sever Maslan Idris' head from his body. Oh, that's awful. Poor guy. Now, Maslan had been reported missing... On 2nd of July, 1993, after being seen withdrawing 300,000 ringgit from a bank in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. Now, we know he owed 2 million. Yeah. And he'd done the 10 land deeds. Yeah. So why he was withdrawing 300,000. Had he paid the deposit? Yeah, he's already paid the deposit. So it's assumed that that is to pay Mona because he would have got withdrawn that and then maybe headed there. I don't know. What is assumed possibly might have happened mm. is that either some of the land titles fell through or he went back on his deal to provide all of the money. Right. And perhaps that fueled the ritual to turn dark. There's a lot of conflicting evidence as to what actually happened, right. what, as to why this happened. Okay. But it's thought that something went wrong with the deal and Mona was vexed, basically. That's a bit extreme, You don't it? cross a shaman, though, because that is the... So there's a lot of fear around if you could go to a BOMO yeah. and ask for one thing, yeah. if you vex them, they could easily curse you right. instead. Okay. So, so she resorted not, to so, death. So, well, Maslan was beheaded. Shit. So he'd been reported missing after returning that, withdrawing that money. But the murder allegedly didn't take place until the 18th of July. So he was reported missing on the 2nd. But apparently <sighs> he wasn't murdered until the 18th. So That's a long time for him to be hanging yeah, out. Yeah, I'm not house. sure what's happened in that time. But 
being an assemblyman, his disappearance was quickly picked up by the media and he became a very high-profile missing person. I bet it was all over the news, wasn't it? All over the news, yep. During this time after the murder, Mm. Mona Fendi had been seen going on an expensive shopping spree, which included a new Mercedes and a facelift. She'd paid for the facelift. I don't think she actually got to have it because that takes a little... Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, but she was only 37 at the time, so I'm not entirely sure how much would have needed lifting, but I think that's just a testament. She's got a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Who just took out a lot of money? Mm -hmm. What a coincidence. Yeah. Hmm. Police at the time hadn't had any leads to the disappearance of Maslan Idris Mm -hmm. until on the 20th of July, so less than 48 hours after the murder has taken place, allegedly. Jeremy Hassan was arrested by police for drug offences. Okay. So this actually might be one of the best cans of salmon. No way. That we've had yet. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jeremy, by the way, is her husband, right? No, Jeremy is the assistant. Oh, so, yeah, just, yeah. Okay. So he was arrested for basically being on those drugs. On drugs. having drugs. Okay. Yep. And he was so high, and his brain was so drug addled that he hadn't realised what he was being arrested for. Right. Which was drug offences. Right. Police had no idea who he was. And he thought he was being arrested for the murder that he just Shut done. up! And he... And he started confessing. No shit! Yeah. What an idiot! Oh my god! Yeah. So they're like, "What is this guy on about?" Until they hear the name Maslan Idris. <gasps> Obviously, it's been everywhere in the news. And they're like, "Well, fuck! That's the missing person. Yeah, that's the guy who's missing. Maybe there's some clout to this." Yeah. So they let him confess. Got it on tape. Yeah, they've got it. Police go to Mona's house, mm-hmm. and terrible assistant. Yeah, so they go to a storeroom adjoining Mona's house, not knowing what they were about to find and how gruesome it was. So on the 22nd of July, police found Maslan Idris's body dismembered into 18 pieces, (sighs) buried separately under the ground. So Christ on a bike. Yeah, and it was covered with like a concrete cap. So Wow. They did try to hide it, didn't they? Yeah, so they've been busy. Jeremy's needed to take a lot of drugs to get over it. Yeah. Or I think he was just on drugs anyway, to be honest. It sounds like he had a bit of a meth problem. Oh, dear. Well, we've had this conversation before. It was either amphetamines or methamphetamines. Okay. He'd been dismembered into 18 pieces and they were buried separately. So 18 separate body parts. Mm -hmm. And according to the coroner's report, the body was partially skinned. Oh. So it seems like something much darker than a cleansing ritual took place. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Mona Fendi and her husband, Mohammed Afandi Abdul Rahman, along with Jeremy Hassan, were then placed under arrest for the murder of Maslan Idris two days after the body was discovered. Because obviously they couldn't keep him under arrest. No. Until they knew that he was actually mm-hmm. telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that their body parts were buried separately, that they were partially skinned, does speak to the perhaps some kind of ritual that he wasn't paying for has happened. Were they doing it for their own agenda? Well, so a highly publicised trial took place in 1995. So it took a little while at the Tamerlo High Court. It had a seven-person jury. And it was one of the last jury-led trials to take place in Malaysia because it drew so much media attention and became such a sort of thing yeah. that it made them question whether jury trials were actually, whether they actually worked properly okay. and they stopped doing them. And the trial lasted a whopping 65 days. Fuck! Heard evidence from 76 witnesses. Where did they come from? The jeweller that she was spending money with, like, right. um, on this shopping spree shop owners mm-hmm. um people who had used her services all kinds of people oh wow because as part of during the testimonies Jeremy was saying he wasn't willing to take the fall the full blame so for he it he might have done the chopping yeah but he didn't act on his own no and he even at one point was claiming that he had been bewitched okay by the bomos didn't know what he was doing yeah and he was under a, he was under a spell okay and then the Fendis were saying, now nah, he did it. Uh, we were just doing a cleansing ritual and then he chopped his head off. 
So they're trying to blame him for it. There was conflicting stories. Yeah, so you can see why that's going to last a while. Yeah, and so it's not really, and it's never really been clear as to exactly what happened and why, Mm. whether it was a ritual, why they were doing it, Mm -hmm. because nobody was... No one's been honest. There wasn't a cohesive testimony, and obviously there weren't any other witnesses Mm. to the actual crime. Yeah. Other than the three people in the room. Four people, but one of them, unfortunately... He's no longer, no longer with, us. with us. Yeah. It was a media frenzy across Malaysia. It was like a really big thing. And it seems that Mona Fendi mm-hmm. finally got what she wanted. Really? Yeah. Which is the attention. Fame. Yeah. Fame and attention and notoriety. So apparently she was continuously, it, it's become a, it's a noteworthy thing mm-hmm. that she was incredibly well dressed in these sort of extravagant, expensive outfits mm-hmm. every time she arrived in court. Okay. Yeah. And more notably than how she was dressed is that she always had a massive smile on her face. She was always very calm, very well composed and smiling. She was enjoying the attention, wasn't she? On one occasion outside of the courthouse, she was quoted as saying, my fans have arrived. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, wow. With regards to the crowd. That's a bit messed. Yeah. So she's getting the fame and she's loving it. Mm. And I think that's the creepiest part. Yeah, definitely. That she always, and any pictures that you see of her, smiling. Really? Like there was, um, I saw an interview with one of the journalists who had been present during the trial mm-hmm. or who later saw her. And she was like, I remember all of your names. Thank you for the, for the nice pictures and the, and the words. Oh God. Yeah. So she really liked the attention. Wow. But also you've got to have, I think, a real confidence in yourself or what you're about, what you're doing to be that cool, calm and collected. Or you've got to have a very strong belief in your power. Yeah, definitely. She's very sure of herself. Yeah. And I think that's possibly the scariest part. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you uh, have any shred of like remorse or regret, you wouldn't want to be looked at because you're ashamed. Whereas she's clearly just like, yeah, fucking... Yeah, it's noted from several people that out of none of the three of them showed any remorse. Christ. During the trial, during the sentencing. So on the 9th of February, 1995, it only took the jury 70 minutes to deliver a unanimous verdict of guilty against all three defendants. According to reports, Fendi and Afandi smiled when the foreman of the jury delivered their verdict. So still smiling when they've been pronounced guilty. Oh. Now, in Malaysia at that time, being sentenced as guilty as murder automatically carries, murder carries a death sentence. Does it? Doesn't anymore, but it did do then. When the trio was sentenced to death by hanging, (sighs) after hearing her sentence, Mona said, I am happy, thank you to all Malaysians. Obviously said it in Malaysian, this is a translation whoa whoa thank you to all malaysians she's not at an award ceremony it's not the oscars she's still smiling oh my god the sentences were appealed but ultimately dismissed they appealed to the high court and then they appealed to have the sentencing dismissed by saying that jeremy's confession shouldn't be admissible because of the way it was delivered oh because obviously he was under the influence of drugs okay say anything it could all have been a lie yeah that's very true well, it, been, no, because there's body parts in her house. Oh, no, but I mean, he could have been tripping. Could have, but somebody murdered that man in her house. No, but... And then yeah, buried yeah. the parts and then covered it up with concrete. Yeah, the, the, you I don't mean, do that by accident. No, I know. Yeah. I'm, but he, I'm just saying he could have been lying, but he wasn't lying. Yeah. Shut so, up, Helen. Well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Basically, that's what they were trying to say. And those appeals were dismissed. But even Amnesty International got involved... To oh, appeal, really? To appeal the death sentence. Okay. Not saying that they didn't do it and they shouldn't be punished, but that the death sentence. Okay. As a last ditch attempt, they tried appealing for, to clemency, saying, yep, we did it, but please don't sentence us to death. Okay. Those appeals ultimately were all dismissed. Everything was clear. The road was then clear for their execution. Oh, no. And their execution was set to be at dawn on the 2nd of November, 2001. 6am the day before the execution Mona and her husband were allowed an eight-hour visit with their families apparently one of the last things that Mona said to her children was to take care of themselves well okay so she's portrayed as this big villain 
black magic witch shaman but ultimately she is also still a mum yeah i feel like this is a great story but i just want to know why i know and that is frustrating and i feel nothing for these people no i don't apart from obviously the family of the victims yeah why did that maslan's wife was reportedly saying after the sentencing that she felt that she had peace and could move and could move on okay which is important yeah but yeah, I think the why there is, I think there is a lack of understanding in Western culture, possibly as to the why. That was obviously planned. Well, was it? Could they have been overtaken by an evil spirit? Perhaps. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, no, they murdered someone. But in their belief, there's a lot of what ifs. Seems the offer of a last meal request was declined. But the three were given KFC as their final oh, meal. Oh, cool. We've had this before conversation before, but in the year since, would your last meal still be a Kiev? Yeah, of yeah. course it would, yeah. That's never going to change. And curly fries. Curly fries? Curly Kiev, curly fries, and probably some baked beans. Oh, way to ruin a Kiev. No, that's separate. Oh, okay. Or, or creamed spinach. From M&S. I just think that KFC, I just wonder how many death row inmates have made their last meal request be KFC. Because I reckon it's probably quite a high percentage. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's got such a distinctive taste. I wouldn't ask for it now, though, because KFC is a bit dog shit these days, I think. I don't know. I had a vegan one the other day and that was pretty good. Um, Yeah, and ice cream or pancakes, I reckon, is also very... But some kind of fried chicken, I reckon, would be... Yeah, quite a popular yeah. one because it's very comforting. Yeah, it? definitely. Comforting. Anyway, they had a KFC and then at 6am the next day, they went to their execution. Whilst standing on the gallows, the two BOMOs and their assistant were reportedly very calm and collected, seemingly at peace with their imminent death. Mona's last words during her execution translated as I will never die oh my god and reportedly she was still smiling as she was hung (gasps) which is quite chilling that is very chilling since her death there have been many reports of sightings of Mona Fendi's spirit near her house and at the prison where she stayed before her execution her house is said to still be haunted by spirits conjured by the black magic that she practiced And it's also said that her spirit is still strong and can't be vanished, with her ghost even being spotted dancing in nightclubs in the city capital. My fucking gosh. So her notoriety as a black magic murderer certainly outshines any fame that she tried to gather as a pop singer. But I think that it could definitely be said that her last words of I will never die are true in whatever sense of the phrase yeah her fame still lives on because she's still seen and spoken about so she's still on people's lips and perhaps possibly on a spiritual plane yeah definitely there's also theories that she was so full of black magic right and so full of dark practices yeah that somehow she evaded death oh that's scary isn't it yes and I can't think about it too much because then I'm like, well, what if her spirit listens to this podcast and then she comes and she finds us? I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's all right. I can't. I need a talisman. Yeah, we'll put it on the front door. I'll make you one. No Blair Witch and none of these Blair Witch ones. I don't want twigs and stuff. No, no, I'll make it out of paper mache and paint. I've got loads of crafting kits for, from various Christmases and birthdays. I can probably put you together a talisman. I'm not going to lie, Helen. Yeah. I don't feel hopeful as to the power off the talisman that you're going to present me. How do you know that I've not been gifted? Well, you don't have the belief. Yeah, that's, that's very true. <laughs> you're set. <laughs> You're like, here, I've got you a rubber band and six paper clips. I'll kiss it and bless it with my new blessing of life and love and care. And I will put it on your front door and I'll be like, I believe that this will look after you, Danny, and it will. Because my, my love and heart for you is big and strong. I used to keep um, a bit of lapis lazuli in my pocket. What's to, that? Uh, as like a crystal. 
cue in my pocket to keep me safe while I travelled <laughs> for a while. I have a seashell in my pocket that looks like a pig snout that I sometimes hold on to. <laughs> for good luck? Yeah. When I, it's in my walking jacket. Nice. I found a stone once that looked like a face. Like it had holes in it that was eyes, two eyes and a mouth mm-hmm. and all glittery on the inside. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, I was like, this is brilliant. This is the best stone I've ever seen. And I kept it and I used to keep it in my pocket and I'd like rub it for like, you know, good luck, my lucky mm-hmm. stone. Mm-hmm. And then one day a ladybird crawled in the eye. <laughs> right. And I watched it happen. And because I was like six, I didn't know any better. But the ladybird got stuck couldn't oh, get out of no. the hole and died and then the stone was ruined because there was a dead ladybird in it yeah and it's not lucky anymore no is it Death. Oh, it's cursed i wonder if that is still kicking around my mum's house somewhere though is that rock yeah it might be it, it moved house of us definitely did it yeah i had that for years even with the dead ladybird in it gross well, i just had it like it went all crispy it's not like it went <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just had yummy okay anyway that was the story of mona fendi Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We shall be looking into Jerry Brudos, the shoe fetish slayer. Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Thank you for listening. Bye. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.